chapter thirty nine of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter thirty nine colonel altamont appears and disappears on the day appointed major pendennis who had formed no better engagement and arthur who desired none arrived together to dine with sir francis clavering the only tenants of the drawing-room when pen and his uncle reached it were sir francis and his wife and our friend captain strong whom arthur was very glad to see though the major looked very sulkily at strong being by no means well pleased to sit down to dinner with clavering's derned house steward as he irreverently called strong but mr wellbore wellbore clavering's country neighbour and brother member of parliament speedily arriving pendennis the elder was somewhat appeased for wellbore though perfectly dull and taking no more part in the conversation at dinner than the footman behind his chair was a respectable country gentleman of ancient family and seven thousand a year and the major felt always at ease in such society to these were added other persons of note the dowager lady rockminster who had her reasons for being well with the clavering family and the lady agnes foker with her son mr harry our old acquaintance mr pincent could not come his parliamentary duties keeping him at the house duties which sat upon the two other senators very lightly miss blanche amory was the last of the company who made her appearance she was dressed in a killing white silk dress which displayed her pearly shoulders to the utmost advantage foker whisked to pen who regarded her with eyes of evident admiration that he considered her a stunner she chose to be very gracious to arthur upon this day and held out her hand most cordially and talked about dear fair oaks and asked for dear laura and his mother and said she was longing to go back to the country and in fact was entirely simple affectionate and artless harry foker thought he had never seen anybody so amiable and delightful not accustomed much to the society of ladies and ordinarily being dumb to their presence he found that he could speak before miss amory and became uncommonly lively and talkative even before the dinner was announced and the party descended to the lower rooms he would have longed to give his arm to the fair blanche and conduct her down the broad carpeted stair but she fell to the lot of pen upon this occasion mr foker being appointed to escort mrs wellbore wellbore in consequence of his superior rank as an earl's grandson but though he was separated from the object of his desire during the passage downstairs the delighted foker found himself by miss amory's side at the dinner-table and flattered himself that he had manoeuvred very well in securing that happy place it may be that the move was not his but that it was made by another person 
blanche had thus the two young men one on each side of her and each tried to render himself gallant and agreeable foker's mamma from her place surveying her darling boy was surprised at his vivacity harry talked constantly to his fair neighbour about the topics of the day seen taglioni in the sylphide miss amory bring me that supreme of Olive again if you please this was addressed to the attendant near him very good can't think where the supremes came from what becomes of the legs of the fowls i wonder she's clipping in the sylphide ain't she and he began very kindly to hum the pretty air which pervades that prettiest of all ballets now faded into the past with that most beautiful and gracious of all dancers will the young folks ever see anything so charming anything so classic anything like taglioni miss avery is a sylph herself said mr pen what a delightful tenor voice you have mr foker said the young lady i am sure you have been well taught i sing a little myself i should like to sing with you pen remembered that words very similar had been addressed to himself by the young lady and that she had liked to sing with him in former days and sneering within himself he wondered with how many other gentlemen she had sung duets since his time but he did not think fit to put this awkward question aloud and only said with the very tenderest air which he could assume i should like to hear you sing again miss blanche i never heard a voice i like so well as yours i think i thought you liked laura's said miss blanche laura's is a contralto and that voice is very often out you know pen said bitterly i have heard a great deal of music in london he continued i am tired of those professional people they sing too loud or i have grown too old or too blasé one grows old very soon in london miss amory and like all old fellows i only care for the songs i heard in my youth i like english music best i don't care for foreign songs much get me some saddle of mutton said mr foker i adore english ballads of all things said miss amory sing me one of the old songs after dinner will you said pen with an imploring voice shall i sing you an english song after dinner asked the sylphide turning to mr foker i will if you will promise to come up soon and she gave him a perfect broadside of her eyes i'll come up after dinner fast enough he said simply i don't care about much wine afterwards i take my whack at dinner i mean my share you know and when i have had as much as i want i toddle up to tea i'm a domestic character miss amory my habits are simple and when i'm pleased i'm generally in a good humour ain't i pen that jelly if you please not that one the other with the cherries inside how the deuce do they get those cherries inside the jellies in this way the artless youth prattled on and miss amory listened to him with inexhaustible good humour when the ladies took their departure for the upper regions blanche made the two young men promise faithfully to quit the table soon and departed with kind glances to each she dropped her gloves on foker's side of the table and her handkerchief on pens each had had some little attention paid to him her politeness to mr foker was perhaps a little more encouraging 
than her kindness to arthur but the benevolent little creature did her best to make both the gentlemen happy Boker caught her last glance as she rushed out of the door that bright look passed over mr strong's broad white waistcoat and shot straight at harry Foker's. the door closed on the charmer he sat down with a sigh and swallowed a bumper of claret as the dinner at which pen and his uncle took their places was not one of our grand parties it had been served at a considerably earlier hour than those ceremonial banquets of the london season which custom has ordained shall scarcely take place before nine o'clock and the company being small and miss blanche anxious to betake herself to her piano in the drawing-room giving constant hints to her mother to retreat lady clavering made that signal very speedily so that it was quite daylight yet when the ladies reached the upper apartments from the flower-embroidered balconies of which they could command a view of the two parks of the poor couples and children still sauntering in the one and of the equipages of ladies and the horses of dandies passing through the arch of the other the sun in a word had not set behind the elms of kensington gardens and was still gilding the statue erected by the ladies of england in honour of his grace the duke of wellington when lady clavering and her female friends left the gentlemen drinking wine the windows of the dining-room were open to let in the fresh air and afforded to the passers-by in the street a pleasant or perhaps tantalizing view of six gentlemen in white waistcoats with a quantity of decanters and a variety of fruits before them little boys as they passed and jumped up at the area railings and took a peep said to one another hi hi jim shouldn't you like to be there and have a cut of that there pineapple the horses and carriages of the nobility and gentry passed by conveying them to belgravian toilets the policemen with clamping feet patrolled up and down before the mansion the shades of evening began to fall the gas-man came and lighted the lamps before sir francis's door the butler entered the dining-room and illuminated the antique gothic chandelier over the antique carved oak dining-table so that from outside the house you looked inwards upon a night scene of feasting and wax candles and from within you beheld a vision of a calm summer evening and the wall of st james's park and the sky above in which a star or two was just beginning to twinkle jeems with folded legs leaning against the door-pillar of his master's abode looked forth musingly upon the latter tranquil sight whilst a spectator clinging to the railings examined the former scene policeman x passing gave his attention to neither but fixed it upon the individual holding by the railings and gazing into sir francis clavering's dining-room where strong was laughing and talking away making the conversation for the party the man at the railing was very gorgeously attired with chains jewellery and waistcoats which the illumination from the house lighted up to great advantage his boots were shiny he had brass buttons to his coat and large white wristbands over his knuckles and indeed looked so grand that x imagined he beheld a member of parliament or a person of consideration before him whatever his rank however the m p or person of consideration was considerably excited by wine 
for he lurched and reeled somewhat in his gait and his hat was cocked over his wild and bloodshot eyes in a manner which no sober hat ever could assume his copious black hair was evidently surreptitious and his whiskers of the tyrian purple as strong's laughter following after one of his own gros mots came ringing out of window this gentleman without laughed and sniggered in the queerest way likewise and he slapped his thigh and winked at jeems pensive in the portico as much as to say plush my boy isn't that a good story jeems's attention had been gradually drawn from the moon in the heavens to this sublunary scene and he was puzzled and alarmed by the appearance of the man in shiny boots a holtercation he remarked afterwards in the servants hall a holtercation with a feller in the streets is never no good and indeed he was not hired for any such purpose so having surveyed the man for some time who went on laughing reeling nodding his head with tipsy knowingness jeems looked out of the portico and softly called policeman and beckoned to that officer x marched up resolute with one berlin glove stuck in his belt side and jeems simply pointed with his index finger to the individual who was laughing against the railings not one single word more than policeman did he say but stood there in the calm summer evening pointing calmly a grand sight x advanced to the individual and said now sir will you have the kindness to move on the individual who was in perfect good humour did not appear to hear one word which policeman x uttered but nodded and waggled his grinning head at strong until his hat almost fell from his head over the area railings now sir move on do you hear cries x in a much more peremptory tone and he touched the stranger gently with one of the fingers enclosed in the gauntlets of the berlin woof he of the many rings instantly started or rather staggered back into what is called an attitude of self-defence and in that position began the operation which is entitled squaring at policeman x and showed himself brave and warlike if unsteady hello keep your hands off a gentleman he said with an oath which need not be repeated move on out of this said x and don't be a blocking up the pavement staring into gentlemen's dining-rooms not stare ho ho not stare that is a good one replied the other with a satiric laugh and sneer who's to prevent me from staring looking at my friends if i like not you old high lows friends i dessay move on answered x if you touch me i'll pitch into you i will roared the other i tell you i know em all that's sir francis clavering baronet m p i know him and he knows me and that's strong and that's the young chap that made the row at the ball i say strong strong it's that derned altamont cried sir francis within with a start and a guilty look and strong also with a look of annoyance got up from the table and ran out to the intruder a gentleman in a white waistcoat running out from a dining-room bareheaded a policeman and an individual decently attired engaged in almost fisticuffs on the pavement were enough to make a crowd even in that quiet neighbourhood at half-past eight o'clock in the evening and a small mob began to assemble before sir francis clavering's door for god's sake come in strong said seizing his acquaintance's arm 
send for a cab james if you please he added in an under voice to that domestic and carrying the excited gentleman out of the street the outer door was closed upon him and the small crowd began to move away mr strong had intended to convey the stranger into sir francis's private sitting-room where the hats of the male guests were awaiting them and having there soothed his friend by bland conversation to have carried him off as soon as the cab arrived but the newcomer was in a great state of wrath at the indignity which had been put upon him and when strong would have let him into the second door said in a tipsy voice that ain't the door that's the dining-room door where the drink's going on and i'll go and have some by jove i'll go and have some at this audacity the butler stood aghast in the hall and placed himself before the door but it opened behind him and the master of the house made his appearance with anxious looks i will have some by darned i will the intruder was roaring out as sir francis came forward hello clavering i say i'm come to have some wine with you hey old boy hey old corkscrew get us a bottle of the yellow seal you old thief the very best a hundred rupees a dozen and no mistake the host reflected a moment over his company there's only wellbore pendennis and those two lads he thought and with a forced laugh and a piteous look he said well altamont come in i'm very glad to see you i'm sure colonel altamont for the intelligent reader has doubtless long ere this discovered in the stranger his excellency the ambassador of the nawab of lucknow reeled into the dining-room with a triumphant look towards jeems the footman which seemed to say there sir what do you think of that now am i a gentleman or no and sank down into the first vacant chair sir francis clavering timidly stammered out the colonel's name to his guest mr wellbore wellbore and his excellency began drinking wine forthwith and gazing round upon the company now with the most wonderful frowns and anon with the blandest smiles and hiccuped remarks encomiastic of the drink which he was imbibing very singular man has resided long in a native court in india strong said with great gravity the chevalier's presence of mind never deserting him in those indian courts they get very singular habits very said major pendennis dryly and wondering what in goodness name was the company into which he had got mr foker was pleased with the newcomer it's the man who would sing the malay song at the back kitchen he whispered to pen try this pine sir he then said to colonel altamont it's uncommonly fine pines i've seen em feed pigs on pines said the colonel all the nawab of lucknow's pigs are fed on pines strong whisper to major pendennis oh of course the major answered sir francis clavering was in the meanwhile endeavouring to make an excuse to his brother guests for the newcomer's condition and muttered something regarding altamont that he was an extraordinary character very eccentric very had indian habits didn't understand the rules of english society to which old wellbore a shrewd old gentleman who drank his wine with great regularity said that seemed pretty clear then the colonel seeing pen's honest face regarded it for a while with as much steadiness as became his condition and said i know you too young fellow i remember you baymouth ball by jingo 
wanted to fight the frenchman i remember you and he laughed and he squared with his fists and seemed hugely amused in the drunken depths of his mind as these recollections passed or rather reeled across it mr pendennis you remember colonel altamont at Baymouth, strong said upon which pen bowing rather stiffly said he had the pleasure of remembering that circumstance perfectly what's his name cried the colonel strong named mr pendennis again pendennis pendennis be hanged altamont roared out to the surprise of every one and thumping with his fist on the table my name is also pendennis sir said the major whose dignity was exceedingly mortified by the evening's events that he major pendennis should have been asked to such a party and that a drunken man should have been introduced to it my name is pendennis and i will be obliged to you not to curse it too loudly the tipsy man turned round to look at him and as he looked it appeared as if colonel altamont suddenly grew sober he put his hand across his forehead and in doing so displaced somewhat the black wig which he wore and his eyes stared fiercely at the major who in his turn like a resolute old warrior as he was looked at his opponent very keenly and steadily at the end of the mutual inspection altamont began to button up his brass button coat and rising up from his chair suddenly and to the company's astonishment reeled towards the door and issued from it followed by strong all that the latter heard him utter was captain beak captain beak by jingo there had not passed above a quarter of an hour from his strange appearance to his equally sudden departure the two young men and the baronet's other guest wondered at the scene and could find no explanation for it clavering seemed exceedingly pale and agitated and turned with looks of almost terror towards major pendennis the latter had been eyeing his host keenly for a moment or two do you know him asked sir francis of the major i'm sure i've seen the fellow the major replied looking as if he too was puzzled yes i have it he was a deserter from the horse artillery who got into the nawab's service i remember his face quite well oh said clavering with a sigh which indicated immense relief of mind and the major looked at him with a twinkle of his sharp old eyes the cab which strong had desired to be called drove away with the chevalier and colonel altamont coffee was brought to the remaining gentlemen and they went upstairs to the ladies in the drawing-room Boker declaring confidentially to pen that this was the rummest go he ever saw which decision pen said laughing showed great discrimination on mr foker's part then according to her promise miss amory made music for the young men foker was enraptured with her performance and kindly joined in the airs which she sang when he happened to be acquainted with them pen affected to talk aside with others of the party but blanche brought him quickly to the piano by singing some of his own words those which we have given in a previous number indeed and which the sylphide had herself she said set to music i don't know whether the air was hers or how much of it was arranged for her by signor twankadillo from whom she took lessons but good or bad original or otherwise it delighted mr pen who remained by her side and turned the leaves now for her most assiduously gad how i wish i could write verses like you pen foker sighed afterwards to his companion if i could do em wouldn't i that's all but i never was a dab at writing you see and i'm sorry i was so idle when i was at school 
no mention was made before the ladies of the curious little scene which had been transacted below stairs although pen was just on the point of describing it to miss amory when that young lady inquired for captain strong who she wished should join her in a duet but chancing to look up towards sir francis clavering arthur saw a peculiar expression of alarm in the baronet's ordinarily vacuous face and discreetly held his tongue it was rather a dull evening wellbore went to sleep as he always did at music and after dinner nor did major pendennis entertain the ladies with copious anecdotes and endless little scandalous stories as his wont was but sat silent for the most part and appeared to be listening to the music and watching the fair young performer the hour of departure having arrived the major rose regretting that so delightful an evening should have passed away so quickly and addressed a particularly fine compliment to miss amory upon her splendid talents as a singer your daughter lady clavering he said to that lady is a perfect nightingale a perfect nightingale begad i have scarcely ever heard anything equal to her and her pronunciation of every language begad of every language seems to me to be perfect and the best houses in london must open before a young lady who has such talents and allow an old fellow to say miss amory such a face blanche was as much astonished by these compliments as pen was to whom his uncle a little time since had been speaking in very disparaging terms of the sylph the major and the two young men walked home together after mr foker had placed his mother in her carriage and procured a light for an enormous cigar the young gentleman's company or his tobacco did not appear to be agreeable to major pendennis who eyed him askance several times and with a look which plainly indicated that he wished mr foker would take his leave but foker hung on resolutely to the uncle and nephew even until they came to the former's door in berry street where the major wished the lads good-night and i say pen he said in a confidential whisper calling his nephew back mind you make a point of calling in grosvenor place to-morrow they've been uncommonly civil monstrously civil and kind pen promised and wondered and the major's door having been closed upon him by morgan foker took pen's arm and walked with him for some time silently puffing his cigar at last when they had reached charing cross on arthur's way home to the temple harry foker relieved himself and broke out with that eulogium upon poetry and those regrets regarding a misspent youth which have just been mentioned and all the way along the strand and up to the door of pen's very staircase in lamb court temple young harry foker did not cease to speak about singing and blanche amory End of chapter thirty nine